Hi, I'm Clemmie Telford and it's time to get open and get honest. Each week, I interview a guest about a topic that we, as a society, often shy away from. From sex lives to salaries, life and death, religion and real bodies, no subject is off the table. Welcome to Honestly, the podcast. It is a real joy to bring you this week's episode with Anna and Matt, aka Mother Pucker and Papa Pucker, who have recently published their second best-selling book, Where Is My Happy Ending, which saw them interview a plethora of people on what it means to them to be happy. And today's chat is all about those discoveries. Now, Anna is a good friend of mine, but rarely do we manage to find the time to sit down and have a proper, deep and meaningful chat together. So this was the perfect excuse. Together with Matt, we talk about the elusive subject of happiness, from weddings to sex lives to having kids or choosing not to, juggling a career and holding on to a sense of self, all the while whilst trying to find that happily ever after with someone you love. It's no easy task, but our conversation was very heartwarming and extremely thought-provoking. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so the name of the game of this podcast is Honesty, which I'm sure you're both pretty adept at, but we start with a quick fire round to get you in the mood. Oh, wow. On a scale of 1 to 10, how fun are you? I mean, I used to be like a 10 out of 10. Now I'm around four and a half. (laughs) I think that shifts over the course of the day. So (laughs) right before lunch, I'm probably a two. Uh, During lunch, I'm an eight or a nine, and I'm singing to myself as I'm making something to eat. Uh, And, you know, that was sort of peak and trough over the course of the day. I probably steady out at a sort of 6.8. Yeah, I've never thought about it. I'm most fun when I'm around food too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Top line. I don't understand people who don't love food. No, just face plant that. Yeah. I mean, that's Anna and I have bonded most over trying to nab canapes. Like, we? there's been points where I just haven't spoken to you in favour of there being food. I'm Shove like, Clemmy or food? <laughs> food. Yeah. Always and means. I understand that. On a scale of one to 10, how popular are you? Oh, God. Again, I used to be a 10 out of 10. Now I think, again, down to about a four and a half. And that's mainly my family members. That's four members of my family. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, are we talking popular in the global sense or just in, a, in our, you know? I mean, the whole point the, is you take it as you the, like. On the Bieber scale, I'm probably 0.2. Mm. But the uh, Bieber within, scale. within my own home... <laughs> I mean, again, it sort of really does shift through the course of the day. <laughs> there are definitely times when I'm very, very unpopular. Uh, to the extent that I feel like I might be sent off to self-isolate in the garden. I don't think we five. send you off. You just self-isolate yeah. in the garden. I'm a five. Five. On but, the home scale. But is, is Bieber your your life goals? No, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I was just trying to think of who is one of the most popular people on earth. So I could have, it could be the Beyonce scale. Uh, yeah, it interchangeable. Could be, yeah, it's who is the most popular human right now? I think use the Bieber as your benchmark. Yeah. But who is the most popular human uh, on earth right now? Yeah, that's probably, a, they're probably good shouts. The, even the thought of being that popular makes me anxious. Yeah, sounds horrible. You're the first person to scale that and I really like it. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm here to bring something fresh. <laughs> he is quite fun, actually. Actually, <laughs> pretty fun. When I'm, it's not just the two of us. He's actually quite fun. Yeah, it's really... funny when you look at your partner in a, in a different context. And you're like, God, yeah, he's quite fun. Is that guy. <laughs> no. Yeah, why are you being so nice to other people? <laughs> <laughs> it's because there's someone else in the room. Because they have to be. Um, favorite color? It would be a cobalt blue. Mm. Didn't 
Uh, yeah, you're quick off the mark with that. It's just it's quite a turn because it used to be the colour of my school uniform. Oh, right. So I hated it for a long time, but now I've made peace with it. And it, I'm not going to lie, it's good on blonde. Yeah. Uh, I mean, spiritually, a fire engine red or a British race in green. <laughs> in terms of wardrobe, uh, I don't go very far <laughs> from jet black, navy blue or charcoal grey. That's solid. Spiritually. <laughs> well, as I said... As in, the colour that makes me feel the most and it feels happiest like and what have you. You're drawn to you're in a yeah. yeah. Red and green Christmas basically. Basically, you're my, the my spirit is Christmas, but I, I can't display that openly. Oh, you should try. Clothing. I think you could get you could weave a bit of race and green into it's your day today. Too much. It's too much. I look like a radish or something. <laughs> How would you describe your relationship with money? Um, <laughs> Fleeting. <laughs> I think we suffer from the fact that we're both terrible with money, <laughs> which is like you you generally need one yeah, quite yeah, wise yeah. head on the cash front in a relationship. And we're both absolutely awful. I just make a series of bad financial choices. And my, and my approach has always just been to just try and earn more rather than stop spending. Mm. But the wine choices usually come after you've had a bottle yeah, already. Well, so yeah, there is that. But I think I, you know, sort of in younger days, I was fairly potless for a while and mm. yeah. sort of prided myself on not spending money and being really, really frugal. And then the moment I had any kind of disposable income, I tried really hard to dispose of it very quickly on fleeting things, like not you know, buying nice stuff that would last, but well, food yeah. and drink mostly. Is that inherently wrong? If you could, if you had the money, well, you know, to be enjoyed. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned something new about both of you. What star sign are you both? Well, you know, there's a new star sign now. What? Yeah, there's a there, there's another star sign which has shaken the roots of everything I know. Is it? Does it move under the auspices of the gullibility um, no. cloister no, wrong, or whatever wrong it is? No, wrong crowd, I'm into it. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so I was a Taurus, but now I'm an Aquarius, which is really... No, it can't shift that much. Yeah. Aquarius is in January. No, it's, it's all... Google it. I go, Google the, okay. the new star so sign. Are you telling me that the people that made it up made it up wrong? <laughs> they made it up. <laughs> Mystic Meg has sold us a lie. Taurus, stubborn like a bull yeah, and I, shaped I like a pear. Does your star sign really uh, determine your body shape? Is that? <laughs> it was something Mystic Meg wrote once and it stuck with me. <laughs> Stubborn as a bull but shaped like a pear. And I was like, mm. Mm, pretty bang on. Can you tell me what you are? Uh, I'm Libra. Are you? Balanced. Indecisive. <laughs> Balanced. <laughs> Considered. Um, uh, very handsome as well. Apparently. You've got the tendency <laughs> for people to fall in love with you. Yeah, I know. It's a curse. <laughs> But not very good at committing. No, it's a double curse. That's a real conundrum. Me. Uh, no, I didn't know any of that, but I'll I'll take it. Yeah, mm, thank I'm you. just nodding sagely. <laughs> what would you like to be remembered for? Oh, I think oh, that's quite a big one. Mm. I think I'd like to be remembered uh, for making my family feel happy. I think in those moments, it's like, oh, what is the big thing that I've done? The legacy. And actually, the legacy. It's like. All the big things I'm doing are for them, even though we're squabbling a lot and not always very happy. But I want them to remember that at the moments where we were dancing to electric dreams in the kitchen, slinging the kids about, um, mm. you know, with health and safety measures out the window. And I want them to remember that feeling of being lifted high. And Matt, you know, you're in there somewhere uh, too. Yeah. So what I'd like to be remembered for is... Um, 
probably scoring an extra time winner in like a <laughs> World Cup final or Champions League final or something. But I understand that that is now unlikely. Oh, it's really sad <laughs> so when those dreams get dashed. I've had to sort of readjust um, my the ambition a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, well, so there's a quote that we use in the first book, Parents in the Shinto Life, by the, and I'm going to sound like a real intellectual here, but mm-hmm. I just Googled quotes and it happened to be by this guy, by the <laughs> uh, South American revolutionary, Jose Marti, who said that every man wants to have a kid, plant a tree and write a book because these are things that you leave behind. And it kind of does fit a little bit with what I'd like to leave behind. I'd like to leave behind books that make people absolutely blub with tears Mm. and howl with laughter. I'd like to plant something that doesn't die within three months, which is my current, (laughs) which is my current strike rate. But also you do, I think, and probably top of that list, want to be remembered as, you know, someone who was good partner and nice dad who helps create nice new people Mm. and um, supported and uh, empowered the people that you're there with. Yeah, Lorraine Kelly said that the problem is with empowering the young women in your life is that to be independent is that then suddenly they are independent. You're like, oh oh God, this is is a tricky one to manage. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not not looking forward to that stage. No. So Uh, be careful what you wish for, darling. Yes, exactly. We want to raise independent and empowered young women. Who still listen to us. Yeah. 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 Put their shoes on. Just do what they're fucking told. (laughs) Put their shoes on. Yeah. Do you know what Uh, I do now with our youngest is I put her outside into the elements and make her decide what she needs really she just won't put the things on so I put her outside and she'd go I need shoes <laughs> I'm like great yeah go figure I need coat. <laughs> that here you go, go. it cuts out yeah. 10 minutes of negotiation just put them outside and they can work it out really yeah even when it's raining I'm like what do you think you need now umbrella there yeah, yeah? you need some wellies <laughs> she's yeah? got it she's got it done she's ready to go yeah I mean that time you put her in the snow and just the nappy was a bit much but... <laughs> she got it she worked it out pretty yeah, sharp the neighbours were judging we're raising strong independent women just as a caveat that didn't happen no, no one's judging you. Yeah. yeah. Um, three words your inner critic would use to describe you. Skittish. Oh, really? All over the place. Um, overexcitable and... <laughs> this is one that's quite pertinent. Um, I don't think the word over-emotional uh, is wrong i think over emotion is wrong but um i've got a really high eq uh that sometimes is quite Mm. damaging to our relationship (laughs) is the best way to put it i'm very emotionally intelligent and you know it just doesn't always sit well it's a joy to be with uh i don't know this is really difficult it's like one of those interview questions what are your greatest flaws well i'm a perfectionist (laughs) sometimes i work too hard (laughs) so i don't know what my inner critic would say i suppose i have a a tendency to start things and then once I've got to the stage where I realise I can do that thing, then I put it down and I don't want to do it anymore. And I don't have that need to then go on and prove that to the wider world. We so call I've that got, half a job Bob in our well, house. No, I've, I've got a distinct memory of, and this, <laughs> this is quite a, a sort of a sappy analogy but I've got a distinct memory of uh, an egg and spoon race as a small child and being way out in front with my egg and spoon thinking I mean I can win this so I don't have to 
and just sort of deliberately dropping it and waiting for my friends to catch up and then sort of sauntering across in the third. I thought, well, I know I can win it. Why do I have to show these people? Anna and I cannot comprehend no, that. I know. <laughs> but, that meanwhile, uh, I'm, I'm like, this is it. This is my moment. My problem is I'd then trip over because I was too busy self-congratulating. Well, I don't. But I was I, there. I, uh, I just think that in my mind, it's, well, as long as once I prove it to myself, I don't really care what but anyone you else You hadn't thinks. actually won. You know, anything could have happened or were you going to... I mean, de- it was an egg and spoon race with <laughs> on a flat surface with about three Things meters happen. left to go. So, <laughs> you're just like, I've got it. Uh, yes. Don't need to bother anymore. Yeah. So the reason I actually have you here is to talk about happiness in relation to your brilliant book, um, best-selling book, no less. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, that was exciting. <laughs> it was. Definitely exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so first of all, how happy are you right now? Wow. Matt uncovered a very interesting bit in the book where, you know, we're sort of chasing this happily ever after. And I think in response to that question, we've stopped chasing it. Mm. You know, we've stopped using the Bieber scale. Of yeah. Like, yeah. We've accepted we're never going to be Bieber, which is probably a good thing. And I don't think I'd want that life. No. But I think we got to a point and maybe Matt can qualify this better than me because it was your bit. So I did an interview with a guy called Alan de Botton, who oh, is yes. a sort of well-known philosopher and writer and has written lots of books about love and relationships and things he wrote his first one when he was like 21 and it was a massive two million bestseller and he's one of those sort of very very clever people who can boil things down in a simple way and quite sort of intimidating to interview actually because you just I imagine I was just going to say something divvy the whole (laughs) way through but his take on it was that the idea of happily ever after is a myth. And we've been sold this fairy tale over 200 years. Previously, you would marry someone because they lived on the farm next to yours or their dad had a cow. And you would sort of get together and hope to stay forget- together for long enough until the pox got you. And that was kind of it. That was your life expectancy, 35, and you were done. Um, but for a couple of hundred years of fairy tales, we've been sold this idea that there is a happily ever after and life should be a permanent fairy tale and anything that falls short of that is kind of viewed as shameful Mm. or that we in ourselves have failed but that fairy tale idea doesn't really exist and actually just before that there's a place called good enough Mm. which is something absolutely to celebrate and be proud of particularly given all the weird things and baggage that every single human carries Mm. along with them and find another one that you can match up with and be okay with um, is a huge achievement to be celebrated. I think that was it. What are we chasing? And I think when you ask about happiness today, we're happier. We're not happier. Yeah, you're not like, like uh, you know, 10 out of 10 happy it's not dancing like on the road. Bounding around, singing yeah. the hills are alive. I think that's the point is acknowledging that there is beauty in unhappiness, there is mm. beauty in that brokenness. And, you know, the questioning of, why we say your wedding day is the best day of your life. It's like, well, what is its slow and steady descent to the end? Coming back to, you know, taking it down from the Bieber scale and actually putting it on our scale and stop comparing our happiness to others because you're always going to fall short. So to answer that, probably like five and a half out of (laughs) ten. Don't you, I often think to myself, like, I think we got married at similar, I got married at like nearly 29, and, and the audacity of that move to, like, commit your life to someone yeah. at the age of 29. Yeah. It was like, I didn't even begin to know myself. I mean, I and, hadn't even settled on a favoured haircut. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's still an ongoing trauma deciding what it should be, let alone 
pick the person that you spend the rest uh, yeah. of your life pick, with. Pick the person but who has to stare at it for yeah, the next exactly. 20 years. But I guess you have to, well, it helps to be that naive. But it's yes. hard now when you go to weddings, not of, most of my peers are kind of married, but with younger siblings. And I get emotional watching people make those vows because they have no idea. And, we, you know, I've only been married 10 years, not only, it's an achievement, but of what is ahead of them. It's it's huge, I, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, did, I said uh, this to Matt when we were going through the process of writing it. I was like, I've realised that I didn't marry you on our wedding day. Very clearly didn't marry you then. I married you through miscarriage, redundancy, mm. postnatal depression, all the little sort of dark idiosyncrasies that lurk between two people in all honesty shoehorning their lives together you're literally putting two pieces of separate jigsaw puzzles like let's ram those pieces together and let's let's go and actually it's the gaps in between those two pieces that actually we've looked to redefine and I think in ourselves we went into writing the book really cynically I think we were just kind of like what you know we are two journalists who happen to be married to each other what what can we find in terms of happiness out there? Like, it feels like it's all been written before. But actually, when you pull together the hundreds of experts that we spoke to, you just suddenly find tools and you redefine in your own mind what happiness is. And it was basically coming back to whether we're happy right now. There was a point where, you know, I would um, go to get a gherkin out of the fridge and Matt would just say, I'll give you a gherkin. And I was like, I don't want a sub, I don't want a sexual subtext with my cornish on. Uh, and actually, I would sort of take that as a bit affronting, and I don't enjoy that exchange. And then there would be a point where he would say, you know, I'd be like, can I, can I just grab the remote control? And I'll, be like, I'll, uh, I'll give you the remote control. And I was like, again, it doesn't really work. I don't need the subtext there. But actually, I did need it. I do like those moments and they are not how I pictured them. They're not how the world (laughs) has said this is what love is. But you know what? I would be sad if he didn't hand me a banal object uh, with some smutty subtext. Some smutty subtext. And that was actually I think, can I just say, in the case of remote control, it would probably be I'll press your buttons. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. Better. Reframe that. That's what that's it's better. So, okay. For anyone judging, I was, yeah. um, you know, I was downplaying his pure <laughs> talent in this world. But yes, I think that's coming back to the happiness is it is in those moments. Yeah. And stop trying to force that piece of the jigsaw to communicate in the way you communicate. Yeah. I'm so still learning that. I'm the jigsaw. You're just the big. And more smutty innuendo is fine. Yeah, you're giving him the green light now. <laughs> God. In your many, many conversations with people, did you find that there are any like key attributes to happiness? You know, money, sex, fun, fulfillment, unconditional love? Uh, well, it's all of those things. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of bits that sort of stood out, I suppose. And one was sort of broadly around the idea of just sort of chilling out and being nicer to each other, uh, which is the difficult thing. We spoke to lots of different people. We spoke to people with loads of kids, people with no kids. We spoke to shrinks and romance novelists, and we spoke to our parents. Uh, I went to stay with some monks in a monastery in Greece, and I went to stay on a free love commune in Portugal. But there was one guy there who I spoke to who was this 54-year-old American physicist, and they're kind of ecologists and environmentalists, a lot of them. And he was doing amazing things with sort of homemade solar panels and stuff. He said that one of the things that he learned is that um, when you're really angry, when you're hacked off with someone because they're late for something or they haven't done a thing that they promised or they've just been a bit snarky with you, don't 
look at what you need in that moment. Don't think, well, actually, I need you to have not done that or I need you to apologise for it or whatever. Don't focus on what you need, but stop and think, well, what does love need now? Which sounds camembert cheesy, like the kind of thing that you would see as a life philosophy on a T-shirt sort of level. But what I think it really means is you stop and pause and think, well, what does our relationship, what's the best thing for our relationship now rather than for just me? Yes. And you can't and say actually, it to the other person. You can't say what, it for the other person. What does person. love need now, darling? Yeah. But, <laughs> but what does our relationship need? Generally, it's just not to be a dick about yeah. that thing and be a bit nicer. And you yeah. can sort of say, it was really disappointing because I had to go to this thing and yes. you probably could have made it on time. But, but you were just a bit, Yeah, not jump down. But not just be... A snarky ass about it. Yeah, which is the which in long term relationships and with people you feel comfortable with, you fall into that place. Yeah, you hear exactly. the things coming out of your mouth. You're like, wow. Exactly. I, I mean, you're much speak. ruder to your mates and your family and yeah. also your partner than you are to colleagues or people that you vaguely know and so on. And I think one of the points that really I pulled out of writing this book was there was the UK's oldest fisherman, Derek West, and he's been married for 70 years. And I wanted to question him on like how you keep going. And he said, well, it's by not expecting my partner, June, to save me. Mm. Is in you not expecting Ben to save yeah. you, me not expecting Matt to save me, and Matt not expecting me to save him. You're not my one and only. We're not going to be together mm. forever necessarily. He said, be together today and don't take the rest for granted. And that simple shift, he said... The big thing is we've stopped looking out to our community. So we're looking down at our phones. We're insular. There's a sort of disconnect now. And he said, when I would fall overboard out in the seas, because he's a fisherman, he said it wouldn't be my wife, June, who would save me. It'd be one of the young lads who was on one of the boats nearby who would haul me back on board. He said it would be my neighbour, Norman, who would help me out if, you know, I'd lock myself out and needed to go over his Mm. fence. It would be Sue at the corner shop who, if I didn't have the right change for milk, she'd sort me out and we'd sort it out next week. Week. And he said, it's a community, it's everyone together. And that when you stop putting all the pressure on one person to bring you everything, because that pressure will break them. And that's what we definitely did. We became very insular. I was expecting everything from Matt mm. when actually I needed to reach out to other people mm. and not expect him to be my one and only. That narrative isn't helpful and isn't realistic. It's a funny thing because... You know, after childhood, you go through a period of becoming very independent, Mm. you know, as a teenager and in your 20s. And as you start to earn money for yourself for the first time, you become very self-reliant. And it's you and, you know, a few good mates, basically, are what you rely on. And then you meet someone, you get into a serious relationship, Mm. and then you kind of, you do stop a little bit and just sort of expect them to pick up the slack whether that's financial or logistical or emotional or whatever it might be and actually you're lumping quite a lot on another person and they're probably doing the same to you and there's a balance between being mutually supportive and just foisting all the stuff you don't want to do onto someone else (laughs) and also parenting like ramps up doesn't it you know you're suddenly your your ability to go and socialise with other people and spread everything that's going on in your mind to other people. You're suddenly in a house together. Yes. Contained. Contained. With all the needs of others. Yeah, you know, and Ben has to sit through every single bit of the inner workings of my mind, whereas once upon a time when I was living with my girlfriends or I was going to an office or I was closer to my family, I'd, I'd be offloading some of that on them. And there's no way he can be the sounding board for all of it because... Yeah. It's too much it's to too put much. on one person. 
yeah. yeah. Children are terrible for relationships, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. That was, I mean, that's the one thing that was That was one was of the main findings was that, uh, <laughs> so basically in every chapter uh, we took a different subject. So there's one on porn, there's one on sex, there's one on social media, there's one on your own family upbringing and the impact that that has on relationships. And we had one that looked at kids. And in all of the other chapters, there was a little bit of grey about the conclusions. <laughs> there was a little bit of grey on the impact that porn has on yeah. relationships. There were sort of divergent opinions on the impact that sex has on relationships. The one area where it was 100% black and white was the yeah. fact that kids are terrible for yeah. relationships. This was found in research in Asia, in Europe, in the Americas, among different ethnic groups, among gay couples and straight couples, having kids is terrible. There was some researchers in the States that pulled together all of these bits of research from across the world, and they said that some significant form of relationship deterioration when children arrive is universal. Mm. And that's oddly... On one of it's quite depressing, but really reassuring. reassuring that yeah. actually... It's not us, it's them. Yeah. <laughs> and also that you've got to get through it, haven't you? Yeah. I think it's knowing that. And I interviewed Joyce Williams, this octogenarian sex blogger. And, she, you know, other than suggesting the various IKEA accoutrements that you might need to have sex at a later stage, the IKEA sheepskin rug, she said, good for the knees. And, mm. you know, the, the kitchen step, she said, good for the back if you're, <laughs> you're doing it from behind. She had many tips, but the one that really hit home links to what Matt said was she looked at me as I was asking all these questions about doing it when you're older, what it looks like, what love looks like you know beyond childcare, mm. and she just looked me in the eye and she said look you are in the most difficult mm. stage right now and she said cling on my lovelies because it really is beautiful on the other side yeah. and I think it was seeing that sense of sort of hope uh, in what can be quite an administrative quagmire mm. at times that you feel you're failing at mm. a lot together separately you know i think there'll always be it's like a dam where you've not got enough hands and to know that that you can Delighted. get through it and actually want to get through it together but acknowledging that it is hard and it's not just you yeah. it is them so I always do a bit where I ask the good people of Instagram about any given subject and I ask them about happiness i asked them if they were happy and 80% were that's mm -hmm. a good innings. I don't know what, what day of the week and at what time that was, but that's good. Um, I asked them what would make them happier. Sleep. I'm with you there. Less rushing, more support, better mental health, financial stability, living by the sea, being able to get pregnant, a personal chef. I was like, oh. Yeah. Aim high. You want financial stability but be careful what you wish for yeah. I think that's I've seen a lot of people I mean I'm not talking on behalf of Justin Bieber but He's I'm like, I'm like are you really this. happy <laughs> yeah but it's that's like, that's beyond financial stability that's yeah, excessive I mean, that's, wealth I mean yeah yeah there's a line isn't there but um Alex Holder who wrote the book um open up about money found that there was a, a point at actually like 60k and then after that people didn't get progressively happier with more with more money no it's when just more to afford, worry about yeah and a more holiday. to worry about losing yeah. and stuff and you just spend you just scale it yeah. it's yeah. like good enough yeah and actually making because i think we've got to a point where like the the girls are sharing a room which is great they get on i mean it's nightmare at bedtime but we got into our heads you know because there's a sense of oh no we would like them to have separate rooms but actually we're creating that yeah, for they're ourselves fine. they're fine and so what are we chasing yeah there's always what, something what happiness are we chasing when actually we've got the components in this house that is 
it's great. Yeah, and it's, it's not going to unlock this next level of happiness. No, when it's you not get like a Tetris game where no. you know you keep going and keep going. It's like actually coming back to what we said earlier is you know good enough. Yeah, it's interesting. So on an, on another episode I did about sex, I was speaking to a couple of sex experts, and as someone who's in a long term relationship, particularly imagining that all these single folk are having wild sex, and they reminded me that you've got to remember that intimacy is on a scale, and although they might be having hotter sex, they're not sitting with someone on a sofa holding hands. Yes, and but th- and that's valuable too. Also, one of the things that came out in the sex chapter of Where's My Happy Ending is that the sort of under thirties and under twenty fives now are having much less sex than they were half a generation ago. Um, Why? Because people are coming together less, even with the advent of Tinder and so on. People are actually getting together less frequently. And wow! For, so, for example, me. one of the one of the surprising things on Tinder and similar apps was that something like thirty percent of people who have arranged to meet up with someone have never actually physically gone on a date and people tend to play it as a sort of self-affirmation game and they get the swipe and they arrange the date and then they just don't go (sighs) and so uh, or they cancel it at the last minute or what have you and so people are 25 year olds now having much less sex than 25 year olds 10 15 20 years ago because of all of these reasons and these slight weird disconnects and it seems yes it's a terrible waste of firm young flesh i think oh yeah guys my my <laughs> big advice to young people is have all the sex <laughs> yes so that's that is uh, a, that is quite a news flash for me well i went on a um hand job workshop yeah. in amsterdam and that was brilliant because i expected it to have kind of undertones of kind of a Hindu to it and i went in a kind of like quite cynical yeah. like what is this going to be but there were a group of 20 women who really wanted to be- become be good. good at the hand job and it was very equal there was also a vaginal massage course mm. so it wasn't uh, yeah. You know, it wasn't sort of discriminating against anyone. And these women sort of turned up. They were bankers, they were lawyers, and they just wanted to be really good at giving a handjob. And the um, sex worker and her gigolo husband, Cora Emmons, she opened up with this one sentence and just said, the handjob is the lost art of the sexual world. We all go direct to oral, but mm. we should not bypass the digits. And you're like, <laughs> and I mean, you know, it was what was interesting for me was I stayed in touch with Maria Line, who was a banker who went on the course. Mm-hmm. We were both taking notes, and nothing prepares you for getting your notepad out with a massive dildo in front of you and lube with somebody at the front going, "The handjob is the lost art of the sexual world." Note that down. And she said she tried to do. There was one move that looked like a squid uh, that you do, like you come down on the on the shaft with your hands like a squid and uh, she said we were emailing after she said I I tried it I tried it on my husband but seriously it was not working and we just started laughing like could not stop laughing and she said what I realised was we just needed to laugh Yeah. and actually you can go on these crazy routes to find happiness but actually sometimes find it in unusual places and she said I'd I'd invested in the course I could do the squid handjob move but actually all we needed to do was roll around laughing at my bad attempts to wank him off Yeah. and she said I sent him on the vaginal massage course (laughs) (laughs) we'll wait and we're waiting to hear from it's that It's so one. true, isn't it? Yeah. I asked the people of Instagram what the key to making a long-term relationship work was. And they said patience, love and laughter, being realistic, choosing to see the best in your partner, which is something that, you, again, particularly in during the sleep-deprived years, is really hard to remember, isn't it? That the very things that you probably found attractive about them are the bits that end up really grating you. Mm. And that's quite an unfair shift, isn't it? Yeah. Does that happen for men or is it just women who feel that way? (laughs) 
Well, there's a slightly, again, slightly cheesy phrase that was quoted to me by a few older people leading up to our wedding, which is that men get married hoping their partner will never change. Women get married <laughs> hoping that their partner will change and mm. both parties end up disappointed. <laughs> yes, so true. And I think there is really... a little bit of truth in that. I mean, mm. it probably sounds like I'm a bit developmentally stunted, but I don't, I don't feel like I have changed that much but i suspect that some of the things i'm still doing 10 years on have become a bit more irritating i'm no longer the bouncy fun 24 year old you signed up to yeah i'm just a friend of ours ours gave a great (laughs) example the other day she's been with her partner for um eight ten years or something and she was saying when they first started going out she'd come home and find out that he'd made a ridiculous pillow fort in their living room and was just sort of sitting there watching tv and she'd go oh my god this is so much fun why don't i dive in there with you and like he still does that even though he's in his 30s and she comes back she's like for god's Uh, sake why are these all over the place i just want to sit on the sofa yeah Uh, and there's a a sort of shift and it works both ways yeah but Um, it's really hard yeah to comprehend that as a yeah that's the the pillow fort theory yeah yeah i'm gonna gonna hold on to that it's so true isn't it People said, try not to change the other person. And most importantly, growing together without losing yourself. And that is, that is a, again, what we've kind of touched on. But you can kind of merge and then that becomes, that's when you lose sense of yourself. And if you're not truly happy in yourself, I don't think you can be yeah. happy in a relationship. Like, I think I, when I interviewed my parents, I saw, I was interviewing my dad about like their happiness and how they find happiness. And it was very much that, having separate things that they do, but also understanding what each other loves and n- nurturing that. Mm-hmm. And for my dad, he loves chilli gherkins. There's a real gherkin theme. Yeah, there really podcast. is. <laughs> and he loves the chilli gherkin. And my mum sort of stockpiled 20 jars of chilli gherkins for him. And that was like this her love pre-coronavirus. Pre-coronavirus. This is, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just because. Yeah. No, this was just, yeah, this was just a, An this was her love. love letter. Yeah. And my dad was telling me about how they had to learn to break together. That was where they, they said, you've got to be separate, but you have to learn to break together. Mm. And he was telling me all this in his favourite fleece that he got for like fourteen ninety nine from um, Sports Direct. And my mum had tried to sell many times in a local <laughs> charity shop. And he had a massive mug that just said shoeaholic on it. <laughs> Like, this I think is it. you're the fashwan one, Dad. Yeah. You're the you're the style muse in the relationship. But that is goals, isn't it? That is relationship like, goals. That's it. Actually, yeah. Vis- the the optics on it were <laughs> just stockpile some chili gherkins and my dad sipping uh, a shoeaholic <laughs> cup of tea. I think in a nice way to kind of round up. Fast forward, however many years, thirty years. What does happiness look like for you two? Well. There was one quite sweet piece of research from Stony Brook University in New York. And there's a bit in the book where we look at the chemical reactions that happen when you fall in love with someone. That first phase of love, when the oxytocin's running high and Mm. there are various other things that happen and that explain why we feel how we do in that first period. And then those chemicals and hormones sort of edge away. And hopefully you're left with enough to sort of see you through. But there was one very sweet piece of research which took lots of older couples who'd been together for sort of 20, 30 years and put them through MRIs Mm. and showed them pictures of a stranger, someone who was famous off the telly, a friend that they vaguely knew and their partner Mm. and various other people. And what they found was that when people saw the picture of their partner, the same pleasure zones in the Mm. brain lit up 
that light up when you're in that first flush and the cortisol's pumping and you've got oxytocin running through your veins. And I guess happiness with another person for me would be that you're still lighting up those parts oh. of the other one's brain 30 years on. What a weirdly romantic thing to say. <laughs> and I think my vision of our future together, and I, I said this in the book and I'd never said it to Matt, was that wherever it was we live, it's near, really close to a delicatessen mm. that has really good cheese so that when your knees have gone and I'm just wheeling you about the place or you're wheeling me about the place. I think we know which way around it's not. That we cheese. can access cheese really easily yeah. and sit cheese have. so uh, to kind of like conclude things first of all I want to ask you to if you've got anything you want to shout about and where can people find you yes well this uh, is the bit just before we go if we could just quickly dedicate this book and podcast to Rachel Clements who we interviewed in the book <laughs> Rachel got in touch with us as we were writing this book saying I want to tell our real love story and what came out of it was that uh, she had pulmonary fibrosis 24% use of her lungs and she sadly didn't make it to publication date but she wanted any podcast we did and any books that we uh, put out there to say that love is the idiosyncrasies of your relationship. She said love is when you ask him or her to go and get those things from the Tesco Metro and they don't pick them up so you remove the kiss from a text message. And so you can find uh, the book that is dedicated to Rachel and Amazon, Waterstones, WH Smith, and all information about us is at mother underscore pucker. And w- I always do this, www.motherpucker.co.uk. You, you don't need the www. Yeah, I think you just put mother just pucker mother into Google. Google. Yeah. Okay. Put it into you, you Google. It. And the book is called Where's, Where's My Happy yeah. Ending? Yeah. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. Um, Not Bieber good, but... No, no. but but aspiring that (laughs) way. Aspiring Bieber. I always ask my audience to complete the sentence, I'll be honest, I, and I'm going to read out their answers and then I'm going to ask you to give me one, I'll be honest, I. I'll be honest, I wish I hadn't left my husband 10 years ago. I'm such a moaner, I annoy myself. Ate crisps for breakfast, my kind of person. Don't want any more children. One in one is enough for me, but I feel under pressure to have more. Wish I wasn't fat. Masturbate when I work from home. <laughs> <laughs> and me, my one is, I'll be honest, I am happily married, but I'm increasingly aware of how tough the idea of staying together forever is and that it involves a lot of work. I'll be honest, uh, I, well, despite writing a book about finding happiness still do think the worst overthinking the best of Matt and I need to switch that I'll be honest I embezzled some money from an orphanage in tooth no uh, I'll be honest I don't really know how to answer this question go for something more lighthearted. I mean I'll be honest I eat avocado more frequently than my taste for it would direct me to because of its ubiquity and yeah I feel like I should like it more. Um, so in conclusion, I've been Clemmy Telford and this wonderful pair have been Anna and Matt, a.k.a. Mother Pucker and Papa Pucker. And this has been Honestly Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe and tell your mates all about it. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Honestly. 
If you found this week's episode interesting, which I hope you did, I'd love to know your thoughts. So please do give me a rating or review and even better, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get each week's episode delivered straight to you.